Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today, we have our very own editor of this podcast, John Gay, owner of Jag and Detroit Podcast. John is a graduate of the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. He worked in radio in Vermont, Detroit, New Orleans, and then back to Detroit for 98.7 Amp Radio. He was laid off from Amp Radio a week after his wedding. Trying to reinvent himself, he looked for marketing and social media jobs and ended up getting one job that only lasted three months. After learning about podcasting and attending conferences, Jag and Detroit Podcast was started in 2018. John says he was terrified to be a business owner, but has never been happier. John, thank you so much for agreeing to this. I think I'm more nervous for this episode because this is your world. I'm just living in it for this one. <laughs> well, I think you've done a great job with the podcast so far, Angela. So thank you for having me on. And I was, as I was telling you offline, you know, you said you're nervous to be interviewing me as the podcast guy. <laughs> I, I get a little bit more nervous as a guest than I do as a uh, host. So we'll muddle our way through this together. We'll do it. That's so funny. The reason I wanted you on here, I swear, everything big that happens in the world social media, you have like a picture with that celebrity or just something. And (laughs) I'm so excited to hear about the stories that we're going to get into. But start off with telling listeners just a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, born and raised in Boston, you're throwing shade at me for being a Patriots fan before we started recording, but I'll let that slide. You know, uh, as you said, worked in a few different cities, including uh, Detroit, where I kind of came here to Detroit for the first time in 2011 for a radio job at Channel 955 to be the night guy and then the midday guy. Got laid off from that job, went down to New Orleans to work for uh, Clear Channel, then iHeart to run a radio station down there named Voodoo 104, great name for a New Orleans radio station. Yes. And then as they say in Goodwill Hunting, I had to go see about a girl, <laughs> the girl that I was friends with when I lived in Detroit. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Over three years in New Orleans, we became more than friends. Uh, moved back here in January of 2016, quit my job in New Orleans, moved here to move in with Ellen, took a real chance. Nine months later, we're engaged. Nine months later, we're married. We'll be married five years uh, this July. Oh, I love that. And then part of what you've told me, too, is that she was part of you starting this business. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So, you know, you've had some great stories in the podcast of people becoming entrepreneurs and starting businesses. I swore I would never own my own business. And I think you can relate to this just, you know, hearing the podcast. (laughs) And I think I have a story very similar to a lot of your guests where I had the corporate job. I was working in radio. I loved radio. I've been doing it my whole adult life. And it's funny when you get together with somebody and that significant other has their own perspective on things. And after losing my last radio job, which we can get into around the timing of that around my wedding, uh, she looked at me and said, I know you love radio, but there's always somebody waiting in line behind you to do the same job for 10 grand less and more bullshit. And I went, Oh, yes. That's really insightful. And I'm like, well, what do I do? And as you mentioned in the intro, I was applying to social media jobs. I was applying to marketing jobs. You'll appreciate this. I was told to create a functional resume instead of putting a bunch of radio stations all up and down a list. So that helped me get at least in the door a couple places. I only ended up getting uh, one job that lasted for about three months. And it was social media and doing a podcast for an IT company and helping them out with writing and stuff. Uh, That was a small company. It only lasted three months. It wasn't the best fit, but I did learn a lot of skills there about website building and and social media and some other stuff and some stuff about being a business owner from that job as well. So I finally get a job. Three months later, I lose it. I'm back to where I started. I'm hosting bar trivia nights. I'm DJing weddings in the summertime. I'm doing what I can to make ends meet. And... I'm kind of dabbling in podcasting. A uh, guy by the name of Seth Ressler, who works for Jacobs Media here in Detroit, is a radio consultant and is really into digital and podcasting. I got connected with him and he said, hey, 
I'm doing this podcast. It's called The Debrief. It's about the arts and entertainment scene in and around Detroit. You're not working right now. I need a producer. It wasn't paid, but it was a chance to get some experience producing the show. Right. I produced the show for them. His co-host ended up leaving. I ended up becoming the co-host of the show. Did that for a little while. And then before we parted ways, but I got, Seth was telling me, hey, you could do this professionally. You have the audio background. You have the skill set to produce audio. You could create podcasts for people and charge for it. And I'm like, charge for it? What are you, crazy? (laughs) And this is like 2017, 2018. And podcasting was taking, starting to take off, but not nearly as big as it is now, of course, in 2022. And I'm kind of dabbling in podcasting. I'm kind of dabbling in social media jobs. Uh, We were in Hawaii for Ellen's 40th birthday in October of 2018. And, you know, I wasn't really having a full-time job. And she said to me, and she's, my wife is so blunt and I love her very much. I always tell my single friends, do what I do and marry somebody smarter than you. Ooh, smart. Uh, we were in Hawaii and she said to me, you're kind of half-assing the social media thing. You're kind of <laughs> half-assing the, the podcast thing. I need you to pick one of the two and whole-ass it. So it was kind of like the shit or get off the pot yeah. moment. Like It's not about what, how much money you're bringing in. It's about you working hard. So I said, okay, I'll start the business. To back to our earlier point, I was terrified to start my own business. I don't know anything about running my own business, at least at that point. And she has an MBA. Her background is in corporate finance in the automotive industry. She's like, you know how to do the work. I will help you with the books. I will help you money out, money in, cash flow, like all that fun stuff, the business side of it, you know, and then you just do the work. So started it, ended up picking up a couple clients here and there, mostly word of mouth. And then it was actually a coworker of mine from Channel 955. Detroit radio listeners might recognize the name. His name is Nick Craig. When I was doing nights, he was doing afternoons 10, 11 years ago. Well, Nick had since moved to Florida and started a company doing marketing for financial advisors. So they were doing seminars before COVID, more webinars once COVID hit, but also social media marketing, Facebook ads, the whole nine. And he said, I think I want to start offering podcasts to these financial advisors all over the country, which is brilliant because if you remember back in the day, you know, the old model was buy like an hour on a radio station on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and like have your paid content on a radio station. Mm -hmm. This is the evolution of that, where instead of, you know, paying for an hour to be on, you know, whatever a.m. radio station, you have a podcast. So that was really kind of what helped get my business going was, you know, just staying in contact and staying in good touch with Nick. And we ended up doing that uh, up until Nick sold the company to one of his clients. And I'm still working for that company with the new owner. Wow. That kind of helped my business get off the ground. And then I've been pulling in a lot of clients locally and then, you know, nationally as well. And even in 2020 and 2021, when people weren't leaving the house, you know, like we're doing now, Angela, I'm recording you remotely. We're not in the same place. Right. But it sounds like we're in the same room because the technology is that good. And that's what I can do with 95% of my clients, whether you're in Detroit or Dallas or Denver. So it's worked out really well. And I've never been happier being my own boss, making my own schedule and, and so on. So the key is get yourself. Everyone needs an Ellen, it sounds like. Absolutely. It sounds like her and I would be best friends, too, because I'm like, yeah, get off like shit or get off the pot. I tell my clients that all the time. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> we will be good friends. That's awesome. I want to break down. And you had told me before that we didn't want to, of course, I want to hear the story of you getting laid off. And it really, I, I know you had said like your boss had convinced to do it like a week after your wedding. So it's supposed to be before, but we love a good underdog story. Let's hear it. Sure. So, you know, in my 15 years in radio, I worked for five radio stations. I was laid off from three of them, not for cause, but for budget cuts. Um, that's the way of the industry was going. A lot of consolidation. 
you know, you can pay one DG to do shows for five cities. Why would you pay five full-time salaries? That kind of thing. And also corporate consolidation. So when I came back to Detroit and I had a great time at Channel 955, it was an amazing group of people that I worked with, Mojo and Nick and my buddy Joe Rosati, who I'm one of my grooms at my wedding was working at the time too. So I come to AMP, I come back to Detroit in January of 2016. And I actually worked remotely for the radio station in New Orleans for a few months to help them in the transition. And then I was talking to different radio people around the country. So AMP, which of course at the time was the direct competition to Channel 955, my old station. Uh, I talked to AMP and they, were, they had a part-time person pre-recording their midday show. So 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And they basically created the position for me. They saw the experience that I had and brought me in. So I was there for a little over a year or so. So I got hired in June of 16 um, and then August of 17, August 1st, 17 is when I got let go. My contract was up. It hadn't been renewed. I was working without a contract at that point. And hanging over all of us was the fact that CBS Radio, which owned AMP, in addition to uh, WYCD, WOMC, WWJ, The Ticket, uh, like seven, seven radio stations in Detroit. CBS Radio had just been sold by CBS to Entercom, which is another big radio company, probably the second biggest radio company in America. Entercom has since rebranded themselves as Odyssey. Okay. Well, with the corporate merger, there were probably going to be cuts. There were probably going to be some people let go. So I'm working without a contract. I'm kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure what's going to happen here. and. Uh, the week of my wedding, I think that Tuesday, my boss and his boss sat me down and they said, hey, listen, we've been looking at the ratings year over year. The ratings are down. If something doesn't change, we're probably going to have to make a move. And I said, okay, I get it. And so I went home that Tuesday night. Again, a few other things on my plate that week because I was getting married that weekend. <laughs> but put together this big spreadsheet of what we could do to improve the ratings. Just, you know, I won't bore you with radio details, but the strategy of what to do. And so... I come in and I present that the next day and I said, here's what's going on. Here's why our ratings are down. Here's what we need to do. Here's a detailed plan on how to do it. Oh, thank you. This is really cool. Thanks. We'll, we'll take a look at this. Okay. So that was the Tuesday before uh, I got married. So I get married that Saturday night and then little mini moon up to Lexington, Michigan for a couple of days, Sunday, Monday after the wedding. And then I come back into the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday afternoon. Hey, do me a favor. Um, Pre-record the last half hour of your show. <gasps> Well, after 15 years in the business, I was pretty sure I knew what that meant. So I took out my little flash drive and backed up all my files before I left the studio. And I end up sitting down in my boss's office and his boss comes in and like, you know, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. Okay. You know, I understand it's business. So, you know, I, I end up leaving. This is on a Friday afternoon. Well, I go back on a Monday to drop off my severance paperwork or whatever it was. And I end up hearing through the grapevine that... The original plan had been to lay me off in that first meeting the Tuesday before my wedding. But thankfully, my boss had told the big boss, I'm not laying this guy off on a Tuesday afternoon and going to his wedding that Saturday. That'd be a little weird. A little bit. Mm -hmm. So as it would turn out, I got to stay of execution for like a week. After you did all that like planning and vision work for them, that was very nice. What I realized was the decision had already been made in that first meeting. And the, the part that left a, a bad taste in my mouth, honestly, was that they, they blamed the ratings. Mm -hmm. But what they ended up doing was they ended up replacing me with another part-time person pre-recording the show. So they eliminated the position. If they had replaced me with another full-time body, I would have said, hey, you know, fine, I get it. The ratings weren't there. But the fact that they eliminated the position and blamed the ratings as opposed to budget cuts just felt disingenuous to me. 
Oh, that's so many stories. I mean, I think why I got fired was because I kept chirping to corporate of sketchy things that were going on in our office. And they were like, you need to get rid of this one because she will not stop talking and complaining. So now the next piece of this, I love you said you had your trio bucket list of celebrities (laughs) you wanted to meet. You said Steven Tyler, Carrie Underwood, and Brett Michaels, none of which I feel go together. So why were were these three your trio? Uh, Three different reasons for all three of them. Um, And I'll get it. So Carrie Underwood's simplest. She's my celebrity crush. I think she's just stunningly, stunningly beautiful. I'll tell you the story along with each one and then the reason why. So uh, the Carrie Underwood story, I, when I was working in New Orleans, she was the Grand Marshal for the Endymion Mardi Gras Parade. And that was the one parade that went by our radio station, biggest one in town. And we would have a party every year at the radio station where we'd have access to food and bathrooms, which were a big deal during Mardi Gras parades, having access to a bathroom. And this parade would have its Grand Marshal and then end up in the Superdome in New Orleans for a private concert Mardi Gras ball for this crew of Endymion. And they would all and there's a lot of money in these things. They would always have like an A-list artist. And the year before was Maroon 5. And always a really big name. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like A-list artists. So my boss in New Orleans, who I love dearly, was also running the country station. And he knew I had just this huge crush on Carrie Underwood. <laughs> so we're at the parade. Now everybody's drinking. Again, this is the culture in New Orleans. It's Mardi Gras. So I have cargo shorts with a flask of Jack Daniels in each pocket. <laughs> and we're all, we're all having a good time. I'm talking to my boss, Don, and their record label rep before they go over to the Superdome to watch the concert after the parade. And so when I'm talking to Don and the record rep, and I said, you know, guys, if... Uh, you know, if she's ever in town again and, you know, is doing a show or, you know, we happen to come by the station, I, I would love to meet her. I just, I think she's fantastic. They, oh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. So Don, great guy that he was, pulls me aside about 20 minutes later and goes, um, hey, question for you. Yeah. He goes, you think you can sober up in the 20 minutes it'll take to walk over to the Superdome? <gasps> and I'm sure, Angela, you've been in this position where like you're a little tipsy, but something happens and the adrenaline kicks in out. and it overrides <laughs> the alcohol. Yeah. Yes. But, yep, boss. I'm good I'm to good. go. Let's go. <laughs> So I'll set the scene for you. So we walk over to the Superdome. Now, this is a Mardi Gras ball. People are in tuxedos and full, like, southern debutante, like, evening gowns. I am in cargo shorts and my Red Sox Nation Louisiana red T-shirt. Oh, my God. It's like the old Sesame Street, which one of these things doesn't belong. (laughs) So Don and the record guy and I walk into this, like, holding room in the, or, like, uh, reception room in the Superdome. And she walks in. And you know that record scratch? Like she walked in and the room stopped on a dime. As beautiful as she is on television, in person, like all done up before her show, she walked into the room and the room just stopped. I'm not surprised. I went over to her and I said, it's really nice to meet you. I said, I really liked your song Last Name. I thought that was going to cross over into CHR like before he cheats did. She said, CHR, I said, I'm sorry, pop radio. And I said, did I just teach Carrie Underwood an industry term? So before he, you know the song, Before He Cheats from 2007, of course. Yes. That was a huge song. And it crossed over from country to the pop charts. And I thought that her song last name would too, but it didn't. But oh, that's very nice of you to say, whatever. And so I'm texting Ellen during while this is going on. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet Carrie Underwood. And she's like, again, great advice as always from Ellen. Don't look drunk in the picture. <laughs> love this woman <laughs> by the grace of god somehow i did not so i have a picture so 
Uh, Steven Tyler, Ellen actually figures into this story too. Steven Tyler, when I was here working for Channel 955 10 years ago, I'm from Boston. Aerosmith is my all-time favorite band. And I pulled a string when they were playing The Palace, RIP to The Palace. <sighs> um, hey, I'd love to meet Steven Tyler. And like your favorite artist of all time, you're just hoping they're cool. Like you just oh, don't want right? them to be nasty. Yes. Don't let me down. <laughs> yep. So Ellen's with me, my friend Ellen, at the show. We joked that she needed one of those little kid backpacks on a leash for me because I was like, is it time to go yet? Is it time to go yet? Is it time to go yet? <laughs> so um, we're waiting to go down the staircase to the meet and greet. It's Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. They said, listen, the fan club that paid 500 bucks a pop for the meet and greet, they get to go first and then you can go after. I'm like, that, that, that's fine. So we're waiting. We can hear Steven Tyler flirting with every 40 and 50 year old woman that, you know, walks by him or whatever. And so we get down there and I, we meet them. And I said, uh, thank you for writing a song about every girl my best friend or I dated in high school. And he laughed and he said, thank you. Steven Tyler could not have been warm, friendlier, nicer. <sighs> I love that. Joe Perry did not say two words the whole time. He had not had no interest in being there, but that's fine because Stephen was cool. Right. Stephen was cool and like was super nice. And I'm like, thank God, like my favorite artist of all time. He was cool. So that's amazing. And the third one, the most unusual one on the list that would probably be, I'd probably guess you would think is Brett Michaels. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is the best story. So um, my college roommate, Bill, one of my best friends on the planet, um, he was actually killed by a drunk driver when we were 25. Oh, my God. And so a big, significant moment in my life, of course. And when they had the funeral, Poison was his favorite band. Mm -hmm. And so at the funeral, somebody had reached out to the band of Poison and told them the story. Hey, this guy's a big fan of yours. He was 25. He was killed by a drunk driver. Poison sent neon green and purple flowers to the funeral. And I always thought that was the coolest thing. That is cool. Mm -hmm. So when I was in New Orleans, Brett Michaels was doing a solo show at like a fair or something. And so I did the phone call radio, you know, radio over the phone interview before the concert. So we do the interview and Brett Michaels, super classy, super nice guy. And after we were done recording, I don't know if I've recorded this part or not, but I said to him, hey, listen, uh, for what it's worth, you know, my best friend was a huge fan of yours. He was killed by a drunk driver when he was 25. And I don't know if it was you or your people or whoever, but you guys sent flowers to the funeral. And that meant a lot to all of us. And I, I just want to say thank you for that because that was so cool. And Brett Michaels said to me, you know what, man, that, wow, that's really cool. Why don't you come backstage at the show and, um, and, and we'll do something for your buddy. Oh, excuse me? <laughs> So at the Gretna Fest in New Orleans in 2014 or 15, I forget what year it was, um, I met him backstage and I introduced myself and told him who I was. Oh, yeah, man, let's do it. So uh, Poison has a song called Something to Believe in. Mm -hmm. You're nodding. You know the song. Yes. And so um, I'm going to get choked up here, but um, he comes out on stage. And I have the video. I have this on video that I shot from side stage. He comes out and um, when it got time to do that song, he said, I want to dedicate this song to... Um, to our, our, our military, you know, veterans and also to uh, Bill Leaf, a good friend of ours, a big fan of ours, was tragically killed. And he dedicated the song to Bill. Wow. And like I had to send it to all of our friends and I sent it to Bill's sister, who's like family to me now. And, and it was just when you know that that's the kind of person somebody is, despite having all kinds of fame and fortune, it was just a moment where I was like, wow. So to bring it full circle, Angela, everything that I've done in my career I look back and, you know, radio, we started off by talking about how radio had some moments where it really became kind of a bad industry and it's kind of a lot has happened to it. But those three moments of those three celebrities, Stephen Tyler, Carrie Underwood, Brett Michaels, 
between that and being on stage in front of five, 7,000 people at Joe Lewis Arena, like I've had some really, really cool moments that I wouldn't change for the world. Some really cool moments in my career in radio, but um, it was just time to do something else. And it's just, I, I, I don't even have words for that because I agree with you. I've met definitely not as many people as you have, but that's the biggest heartbreak is when they're horrible people or just yeah. like, you're horrible and I don't want to meet you again and whatnot. But what an awesome story. Like all three of those are awesome for their own individual reasons and yeah. everything like that. But I know you said that's like how you operate in business now and how you've become this awesome owner. You're so easy to work with. You are always nice. You're incredible. Like we hit it off when we met through Royal Oak Chamber here locally. But as a business owner, how do you kind of operate with clients? Like I always like to ask this of you have the difficult clients. That's a fact. It's always going to happen. You're a business owner. That's true. But Mm -hmm. what kind of keeps you going? And even on those tough days? It's good clients, and I'll pay the compliment right back to you. You've been a great client uh, <laughs> of mine you. working these last couple months. You know, what is it? What You would know this better than I. It's something like 20% of your clients will cause like 80% of your headache or take 80% of your time yes. or something like yeah, that. But there's like always that. A, mm-hmm. a handful of clients that are difficult. The way I've heard it explained is there's like two types of models for building a business, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have this exactly right. Again, you'd probably know the quote better than I would, but there's the... Uh, Walmart, Amazon model, which is like, just build everything to scale, just build everything right. to scale, numbers, 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 quantity, quantity, quantity. And then there's the Ben and Jerry's model, which is more about quality as opposed to quantity, which is just super serve your clients, do something really, really well so that your clients will become brand evangelists for you and tell people in their network, hey, work with Angela, work with John. They do a really great job. They've made a difference for me in my business. Uh, they can do the same for you. They're really easy to work with. I had always said when I was in radio, I would rather somebody remember me for being a good person than for being a good DJ. And the same is true as a business owner and and a podcaster and, and a podcast producer and editor. I think it's a lot easier, and this goes for all businesses, I think it's a lot easier uh, just to be a good person. And people, I think, are more likely to say, work with that person, they're a really good person, than they're really great at what they do. In fact, I'll, I'll bring it back to when I worked at Amp Radio. We had a morning show producer who was extremely difficult to work with. He just rubbed everybody the wrong way. He was this brash New Yorker and, and all this kind of stuff. And so they eventually let him go. The morning show wasn't doing well. And I remember the big boss had said to me, he's like, you can have bad job performance or you can be an asshole, but not both. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't be both. Like, you can probably put up with somebody if they're struggling, but they're a really good person, or you can probably put up with somebody if they're a little rough around the edges, but you get good results. You can't do both nope. on the negative side. I would rather try to do both on the positive side. I, for me, and I guess this comes back to my personality and being a people pleaser, but I would rather maintain that relationship with somebody, You know, answer a client email on a Saturday or off hours, or give somebody a little bit extra, because I think it all comes full circle and you get what you put in in terms of relationships. Oh, it is. And that's where I was, I think I talked about this on the last episode that will have been out when we get to this one. But I talked about this where if people are talking about you in a room when you're not around or like referring business, that just speaks mm-hmm. wonders of who you are. I mean, yeah, I always relate it back to like my employees or clients, whoever will say, Oh, yeah, I met this random person at a bar this weekend. And I told them they need a job. So so and so should be reaching out to you. If someone from this bar reaches out, this is what and that just speaks wonders of who you are as a person. And you know what you don't like, like, you know, how you were treated, I was fired, you were laid off, you don't want to be that person, whether it's to your clients or your employees or 
anything like that. And that does speak wonders. Transitioning into you weren't a podcast person before you mm-hmm. had this idea. What kind of was going through your head when you were, when your friend, especially had said, Hey, look, I think you could do this. Were you more like you're crazy? There's no way. Or what kind of went through your head at that point? That's a great question. And I was skeptical. I was like, I, I can't, he's, <laughs> and he was quoting me these huge dollar amounts to charge for, you know, podcast producing and editing. And I'm like, He was really into podcasting way ahead of the curve. So I think he saw the value in it way before I did and certainly way before the market did. I couldn't charge something like that. You're you're nuts. No, no, you could. And so I started out doing some little stuff here and there for a couple of clients. Some of my first clients are still with me years later. So shout out to them. They know who they are four or five years later. But it was really a matter of I had nothing to lose at that point. I wasn't getting enough bites on the social media side, on the marketing side. I'm like, I've been a radio DJ. I know how to market stuff. I know how to sell stuff. Well, I didn't have the same background that they were looking for for those specific marketing jobs. And so, well, what can I do? Well, I'm good with audio. I'm good with content. I'm good with coaching talent to say, hey, don't say it this way. Say it this way. It'll be more compelling if you say it this way. And then, of course, the editing piece of it, taking out ums and uhs and likes and you knows and what we call disfluencies, all the stuff that we all use, myself included, in regular conversation. And I said, well, maybe, maybe there's a way to monetize that. I got connected with a Facebook group of podcast editors that's now 7,000 strong. Wow. People all, <sighs> over, people all over the world are doing this. They're either editing, they're producing. And I think what I've figured out in the last few years of doing this, there are some podcasts, you know, like you, that they record the podcast and they send it over to me and I just edit it and send it back and I just Dropbox it back to them. There are some clients who, who host their own podcast, but they aren't super tech savvy or they, or they might need a little bit of an assist or help getting their guest microphone set up. So I'm the producer. I sit in on them during the recording and I record it and I take care of everything and all they've got to worry about is their content and talking. And then there are some clients, like a lot of the financial advisors, where I interview them. And I came to realize that my unique selling proposition is my background as an interviewer and as a radio host to say, okay, you may want to talk about your business, but maybe you don't have the gift of gap. Maybe you don't feel like you could talk for 20 minutes about your Sherwin-Williams paint store. I'm making that up. I don't have Sherwin-Williams paint store as a client. But if you say, here are the five or six bullet points that I want to hit in the interview, I can sort of weave those into a conversation with you and make the interview flow better and and more interesting. I think that answered your question. Yes, it it did. It did. And I want to talk about that further because I made the mistake before hiring you that I found someone cheaper (laughs) and I was like, oh, do I really want to put, and this is, other people can relate to this. I was like, do I want to invest so much money into a podcast that maybe doesn't have direct lineage to revenue to me. Right. And Mm -hmm. I found someone cheaper, but I got what I paid for. Yeah, it was cheaper, save me money, but I had to edit more. I had to do it. And then ultimately it was like, you know what? Screw this. This is taking too much of my time. Just invest the money. And the amount of work you put into this, and I made the mistake. I should have just hired you from day one, but (laughs) live and learn. And this is a revenue making tool for us now. That's what people need to understand is mm-hmm. when people sign up for a free consultation for me, they get an auto triggered email that says, hey, here's our socials, here's our podcast, here's that. And it's a selling tool. I tell some sort of story on every podcast and this goes for every industry is you have something great to say. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It's just 
do this podcast. I am great on video. I'm very passionate individual. We'll say it that I'm very opinionated. I've seen your TikTok. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. But that's where this was like a great outlet for me over other traditional marketing ways. And people just don't see that. So going into my next question, if I'm trying not to ramble and rant too much, for me, I thought it was super easy to start this podcast. You make the process so simple, but thank you. where do you think people listening to this that want to start a podcast or have had this idea or stupid like me and waited three years to actually execute it? What are some easy ways to just get started or what's that look like? What you just hit on is the first piece of advice. The hardest part is actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually had a coworker, God rest his soul, KJ Holiday at WJLB in Detroit who had a sign on his door that said AFDI, and it was actually do it. You can figure out what the F stands for. (laughs) I love that. The hardest part is getting started. Microphone is easy. You've got the microphone that I recommend to clients. It's a Samsung Q2U. It's got a USB plug right into it. It's like 70 bucks on Amazon. That's the only piece of equipment you only need aside from headphones to plug in. And then if you want to do remote recording software, you can do that for like 20 bucks a month or just interview people in person. So microphone, getting started. The best analogy I've heard about a radio show or a podcast is from one of my early radio mentors, which is that doing a show is like driving a NASCAR. I have no interest or knowledge about NASCAR, but (laughs) you do all your work in the pit. So when the light turns green, all you've got to do is drive. So you and I exchanged a couple emails before our recording of what we might want to talk about and cover in this podcast. The more you prep, the better. Now, I'm not saying script out the whole episode because you don't want to sound like you're reading. Some people do a script and they can sound not like they're reading, which is great. Um, But have bullet points. Know how you're going to get from A to B to C to D to Z. Know how you're going to go all the way through it. You know, and I think the point you made a moment ago, Angela, is so important. And that is, it is not going to be a monetary ROI out of the gate. It is going to take some time. Just like any social media following or any kind of marketing you do, you've got to build an audience. You've got to create an audience for your podcast. You have got to take some time to build it. I've heard estimates that if you wanted to monetize your podcast, it'll take you one to three years. You can't expect to make that dollar return on your investment right away. What you can do is exactly what you just said. It's marketing your podcast. It's using it as a marketing tool for your business. I love the auto-triggered email that goes to your new clients and says, hey, listen to the podcast about different things about business that we've talked about. You know, for my financial advisors, for whatever they pay me a month, If they get one new client out of that podcast and that client is like a million dollar net worth client and they're making a fee and managing that money, the podcast has paid for itself several times over at that point. (laughs) Paid for itself. Yeah, a lot. So use that. Use it as a marketing tool. And at the end of your podcast, feel free to give your contact and your social media. And then you can also on your social media promote your podcast. It's one big circle you complete. Uh, Quick tip on that. Do not, do not, do not start your podcast with banter about the latest breakfast place you went to or the weather or how to find you on social. Because if I find your podcast and I listen to your first, uh, your, your most recent episode, which Apple or Spotify is going to display, I don't know you from Adam. I don't know who you are, what you're about. Give me good content. Tell me out of the gate what you're going to cover in that podcast. And then at the end of the podcast, if you've given me something of value like you do in your podcast, Angela, then it's a business transaction where you could say, hey, I've just given you 30 minutes of great content. I'll say that obviously, but I've just given you 30 minutes of great content. That now gives you license to give out your social, hey, here's how to connect with me. Oh, this person's really interesting. I like their podcast. How do I find out more? Okay, well, here's their email. Here's their social. Don't ask for something from your listener until you've given them something of value. Right. And something else that 
kind of on the other hand of that it's this marketing tool. My first episode I filmed with my good buddy, Nick. Mm -hmm. He's closed five clients off of it. He's closed five clients listening to him on my my podcast. Great. And he's had been asked, I think, beyond two or three more additionally from it. So it's just like if this podcast did not exist, like those doors would not have been open for him. And I know other guests I've had on it have had kind of like preliminary conversations and whatnot. But it's so funny to me because I think I just got I got in my own head that I was like, I don't have the equipment. I don't have the content. Like, I don't have the studio, but literally 70 bucks for the microphone, 30 bucks for my headset. That's super cheap and it works. And I think I spend like mine's actually, I think, $15 a month to use simple gas. Like, it's so easy, but I love that. Now, I want to get into this because when you and I met about it, you had said, you use like all the software and my jaw was kind of to the ground, like, excuse me, what? But <laughs> talk to us on what you do as far as like editing, what you're looking for, what's good sound, what's good practices, like just the whole thing with running a podcast. All right, let me give, I'll, get, I'll see if I can breeze through the technical <laughs> stuff and not get too bogged down in it, but I'm glad you asked. So my editing software that I use is Adobe Audition. It's the audio editing program within the Adobe suite. Long ago, it was called Cool Edit Pro before Adobe bought them. And Cool Edit was probably 15, 20 years ago at this point. I also have uh, some high-end software from a company called Izotope, I-Z-O-T-O-P-E, that has features like really crazy features like uh, mouth de-click. So if you, you know, oh, as you're yeah. talking, like take, I can wipe that out. I have something called a deplosive, which is sometimes, I'm going to move my, my pop filter out of the way. Sometimes people pop their peas yes. when they're talking. And so it takes care of that. If you're in a really echoey room, it can take care of the echo in the room. Here's the thing in terms of the recording, though. It's like the same thing as data, garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. So the better your recording going in, the better. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this podcast as you and I are both using microphones and not a built-in microphone into a laptop or... If you've thought about podcasting and done a little bit of research, you've probably come across a microphone called the Blue Yeti, yes. which is a tangent that I tend to go off for hours <laughs> on, but I'll keep it short. The worst thing for a bad product is good marketing. The Blue Yeti is not a good podcast microphone. Okay. If you're a professional broadcaster, you can pr and get the settings dialed in right. You can get it sounding pretty good. But the problem with the Blue Yeti, and this is the, as techy as I'll get, so bear with me. <laughs> We're here for it. In terms of the guts of a microphone, there's two ways it can be set up dynamic and condenser. A dynamic microphone like I'm on right now, like you're on my, right now, is built to pick up the human voice and less ambient sound in the room around it. A condenser microphone is built for a specially treated room. It's going to pick up everything in the room. So if you have cars driving by, if you have a dog barking or a baby crying in the next room, that Blue Yeti is probably going to pick it up because a condenser microphone brings everything in around it. So I tell people, Buy the dynamic microphone, like the Samsung Q2U that, I, that you have right now. It's cheaper than the Blue Yeti. Yes. And it's going to sound better. You, you know, you sound great on that microphone. So get that as far as uh, equipment. Get a dynamic microphone. And I have tons of recommendations on my website for microphones, but that's probably the easiest thing is the uh, Samsung Q2U, 70 bucks on Amazon. It's got a USB cord right in your computer, done and done. Um, in terms of what I'm listening for when I'm editing... Um, because I'm actually using my eyes and my ears when I'm editing. I'm looking at the actual waveform of the audio and then what's called the spectrogram, which is like the frequencies and how much uh, volume is it, like high frequencies, low frequencies. I can actually, in my head, visualize what the word um looks like. 
because I've seen it so many times. I can see it coming as I'm editing. I'm like, oh, okay, click, that goes away. There are AI programs that will edit for you. However, it's not as good as a human editor because the edits aren't going to be perfect. And the way the way to edit in my philosophy is if you may, can't make it sound natural, don't do it. If somebody listening can say, oh, there's an edit there, don't do it. They take out probably about 80% of the ums and uhs in an episode. Wow. But not all of them. Some of them are good for context. If you'd asked me a question, Angela, and said, you know, what do you think about, you know, the future of podcasting? And I said, hmm, um, that's a good question. That um is important to the context of the conversation. You're not going to just snip it. And then sometimes it's impossible to take the word out because it runs into another word and the edit's going to sound sloppy. On average, and before you ask, yes, you're right on par with everybody else and my other clients, <laughs> I take out about 10% of an episode. Mm-hmm. If you send me a 60-minute interview, it's going to be 54 when I'm done on average. If you send me a 30-minute interview, it's going to be about 27 when I'm done. Just three minutes of ums, ahs, likes, you knows. Somebody starts an answer and says, oh, you know what? I don't like the way that came out. Let me answer that differently. Okay, no problem. It's an easy edit. And the way I look at it is there are some folks in podcasting who say, nope, just record it and put it out as recorded because I want it to sound like a natural conversation. I don't want any edits. Well, we have attention spans of goldfish, maybe even less now. It's true. And that three minutes or that six minutes, somebody is committing time to you to listen to your actual podcast. So put the same value on their time that they do. If you can shorten it up by a few minutes, if you can not waste their time with ums and uhs and tangents about the great new breakfast place that opened down the street and, you know, can't believe in Michigan, it was 50 this morning and it's going to be 90 later this week. It's not relevant to the conversation. Just keep trimming the fat. Trim it, trim it, trim it, trim it, trim it. No, I like that because it is a difference because I'm always curious. I do look at like, okay, I know I recorded this one was 48 minutes. So I always like play the game with myself. It's like, how much is John going to take off or how much is valuable? <laughs> oh, that's going to get cut. Or, oh, I said, um, and I said, right. So if you, if any listeners are still have listened to like the first few episodes versus now where I don't say right every two seconds is because John politely told me like, just don't do that. You could still have conversation because it is. I'm one of those. I'm like, I got to fill the silence. I got to say a word. I got to do something. That's human nature. Yeah. It's, so that, that, it's human nature to want to say something when there's a gap in there. You're a chatty person by nature. Yes. So you tend to jump in a lot and it's okay to do that sometimes. And you'll find that balance as you keep doing it. I don't know anybody that's done 10 episodes that goes back to their first episode and says, boy, that was oh, great. Because so you're bad. always improving. Right. <laughs> no, there's a right. See, there's a right for you on this episode. First one I did. It was pretty good. Leave it in. I'm not going to edit stay it. Stay in forever. I love it. I could talk to you for hours with this, but do you have one story that just like from radio, from your time doing this, that is just like your fun fact or just like a crazy thing that has happened to you? I feel like you have a lot, but... The three bucket list celebrities are really fun. Um, Besides those three, yeah. So I will say, well, the ones that are fit to tell on a podcast anyway. We have no rules on this podcast. Whatever we say goes. <sighs> let me think. Um, see, that's what I'm not going to edit out, but let me think. Um, I will say one of the coolest moments I had was I filled in when I was at Channel 955. I filled in at our New Year's Eve gig that was then Club Electricity in Pontiac. And you're thinking, <gasps> yes, you're thinking 18 plus club in Pontiac. Okay, what, where is he going with this? <laughs> but the energy in the building at that point, I had 1,100 people in there. And I'm up on a stage. This is New Year's Eve 2012, counting down with me to midnight for New Year's Eve. And you're obviously pumping them up on the microphone, like, you know, you're live on the air, but you're also live over the PA in the club. And you're like, all right, 
all your drama, all your crap from 2011, it is gone in 15 minutes. We're starting fresh for 2012. And then I have a picture uh, taken from behind of Cody, who was our awesome street team at the time. Now she's like the marketing person over there. She's risen through the ranks. It's from behind. I'm in like a blazer and counting down the crown to midnight as these uh, Detroit Tigers blue and orange balloons drop from the ceiling as I'm working a crowd of 1,200 people. It was, it, it's, uh, Steven Tyler actually said it's better than any drug on the planet and he would know. But there's uh, <laughs> this rush of like giving energy to the crowd and having them give it back to you. That is something that is really, really, really cool. That's something that I don't think I'll forget. I have a really quick, fun electricity story because... Please. Yes. Um, I think I was 21 at the time. I think I was 21. I was dating a guy at the time and he worked security while he was in college, like for different like security companies. So he'd go around. So that night was electricity. They had a phone party. He's like, just come visit me. So me and my friend, Katie, <laughs> like we go, he gets us in for free. Great. We're at this phone party. We're like, wow, these DJs are pretty good. Like they're pretty cool. Who are the chain smokers? Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Oh, wow. So I will never pay. I love the chain smokers, but I will never pay the thousands of dollars for a ticket because I literally saw them for free in Pontiac, whatever amount of years ago. So, oh, that's funny. Isn't that funny? Because they were so good. But my friend Katie and I were just like, huh, we should look them up. Like they're pretty good. And now they're freaking massive all over the world. So, here, I'll bring it full circle for you. One of them is a Syracuse grad. Oh, I, like the lead singer, right? The the, skin, yeah, the yeah. skinnier one. I forget their names, but one of them is a Syracuse grad. I yeah. think I knew that, but that's so funny. Things you forget about, but yeah, that's always my fun. That was a fun story. I like that. Well, you'll have to show me that picture because you need just like an album. Maybe you write a book one day of just like all your stories with all these celebrities and all these pictures you have with everyone and their mother. I swear. I have a few pictures on my website at jagindetroit.com. There are a few pictures with some celebrities on the website. I've seen some of them. You need them all together. We need to hear all the stories, but <laughs> you need in your spare time, like to do another podcast just on that, right? There you go. Exactly. I love it. Well, first and foremost, before we finish up, where can people find you if they want to either reach out to you, learn more? Do you offer free consultations? How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, always happy to have a conversation about podcasting, especially if you listen to this podcast. The initial conversation is no charge for that. You can find me on my website, jagindetroit.com, which, side note, I had to rebrand all my social from Jag the DJ when I got out of radio. It used to be Jag the DJ, now it's Jag in Detroit. Love that. So Jag in Detroit is Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. LinkedIn is John Gay, J-O-N-G-A-Y 18. So John Gay 18 on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll put these links in the show notes. I will. And then if you want to send me an email, it's jag at jagindetroit.com. Or you can call me 313-757-2JAG, which comes out to 2524. That's clever. I love that. And then my last question for you, John, any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? I will leave you, Angela, with my three rules for life. The first two came from my uncle, who I'm very close with, my dad's younger brother. And the third one I've kind of developed in the last couple of years. So my uncle's two rules are, number one, know your audience. And part of why my uncle and I are so close, we both have a performance background. He owned a murder mystery dinner theater company in Florida for many cool. years. So they did those like dinner murder mystery shows. So know your audience, know what kind of jokes and what kind of conversation you can have with the people in front of you. I don't typically swear on a podcast. I knew I could swear on this one with you, Angela, because I knew my audience. <laughs> yes. The second one, probably even more importantly, is be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. 
and it's very easy to get, oh, this person in traffic or this person was rude to me. You don't know what kind of day they're having. Maybe there's something going on with them in their personal life, kind of a little bit of slack. And the third one that I kind of developed over the last few years, and it took me 40 plus years to realize this, but you cannot change the way anybody else acts. You can only change how you react to them. So uh, I have family members, myself included, that have been like, oh, why is this person doing this? They should do it this way. What are they thinking? I can't believe how stupid they are. What? Well, no matter how many times you try to help them or give them advice, they're still going to do what they're going to do. It's up to you to not internalize that and let that bother you as much as it does. They're going to do what they do. Give them grace, but you can only control how you react to them. It's so true. People are going to do what they want. People are going to support you. People are not going to support you. People are still going to complain about their jobs and not do anything about it. People are going to say, hey, I want to start a podcast, but wait three years to do it. You just, I, I love that piece <laughs> of advice because it's so true. Well, John, this was so much fun. Hopefully, I passed, I got an A rating for being a host for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I felt bad. I kind of talked a lot. So No, that's the goal. I love the talking ones. This is great. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for our listeners for coming back for another episode. And tune in next Tuesday for another episode of That's Business. Thank you for letting me do the plug, Angela. But as a podcast host who's now offered 40 plus minutes of great, fantastic, amazing content yes. in this podcast, you now have the right to ask your listeners to follow you. How do people connect with you? Oh, let's go through the laundry list. Okay. Everything. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. What else are we on? LinkedIn is all the resume rescue. Me personally, Angela Bucciolato. Yes, you'll have to copy and paste my name from the show notes on this because I know it's long, but <laughs> I offer free consultations for everything. As I've mentioned to anyone looking for a job or just not happy in your career, want to start a business, have this crazy consulting idea, like, hell yeah, let's talk. Let's figure it out. If you're a business owner, want to get more into marketing. And I'm always looking for other people for this podcast. So interested, or you can email Angela at TheResumeRescue.com. Thanks, John, for that. No problem. Thanks for having me. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, The Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone. But here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.